Amen. Well, I do want to say again, thank you for having us out. And uh, if you ever talk to Hunter again, make sure when you s see him or say something to him, call him Reverend Hunter. He loves it. <laughs> that's, that's what I do now. Every time I call him, I say, hey, Reverend Hunter. He don't like that. But it, it's, it's pretty funny. When, uh, when I first met Hunter at Heartland, you said you didn't know he had any friends. Well, I'm going to be honest, when I first met him, I thought, ain't no way I'll be a friend with him. It just, I didn't think it was going to happen. And then one thing led to another, and we ended up being really good friends. And so I am thankful that, that we were able to meet and, uh, and everything. And uh, there's things in Heartland that I won't share about him that he won't share about me, and we just keep it Heartland and at school. But we, uh, uh, it, it was amazing just watching God guide both of us and kind of lead us back in the same direction together and stuff, you know, just to meet up, so, but uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, and I just want to share something with you that, that God kind of gave me, um, he, he kind of gave me this message when I first started um, deputation and God began to call me to, to reach the Jews, um, as I said in Sunday school and stuff, I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a missionary home. I traveled all over, all over America. It felt like we were always on the road. I have four younger brothers, and so it was all boys. We drove around in a, a, a Dodge pickup truck, uh, so seven people in a six-passenger vehicle, pulling a camper around, and we practically lived in it all the time. So I'm very close with my family. I also want to kill half my brothers all the time, but I love them to death. Um, we grew very close together, but I grew up in that atmosphere. I grew up doing that, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's by the grace of God that I'm still in it, because there was a part of me that when I turned 18, even though I was heading to Bible college, I thought, here's my exit, my freedom to get away from it. And that was just, that was my, my, my flesh wanted that. I wanted to get out of it. I had been on the road and traveling all my life. I thought, I don't want to do it. And then when, when I finally, during Bible college, you know, I just, I finally realized, you know, it's not about what I've been through. It's about what I need to do for God now. And so I, I begin to just plan and, and want to serve God. And I had a great plan for my life. I did. I thought I had the plan for my life. I was going to go be a pastor. That's a great plan. That's a great need here in America. We need pastors in America. We need churches to be started here in America. A great plan. That was my plan. We moved up to Minnesota and I will tell you, if God ever calls you to Minnesota, you better make sure it's God. You will freeze to death in Minnesota. It is cold in Minnesota. Pennsylvania is nice. It gets cold, but it's nice. Minnesota is cold. I've met missionaries that go to Alaska who say it's not even as cold there as it was where we were at in Minnesota. We experienced negative 52 degree weather while we were there. Uh, it, it, it's miserable. But we saw God work in a great way. Well, when God began to deal with me about reaching the Jews... I got scared. My dad, to me, is my hero. My dad is the best missionary in the world. I've been in so many churches who support my dad, and they'll get up and be like, man, we met your dad. He was such a great preacher. He was all this and that and this. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm about to get up and preach now. Like, you got all these expectations. And I'm like, you know, I, and I was so nervous. I thought, Lord, not me. Use one of my brothers. I've got one brother. He's so smart. He picks up a language, and he's just like, boom, boom. He gets it. Me, I got all of the redneck side of my dad. Like, that's it, you know I mean? I, I can fish and I can hunt pretty good, but as far as reading and understanding what I'm reading and, and studying, I have a hard time doing it. It's just hard for me. But I had to realize something as that God began to deal with me. I'm not my dad. 
I had to realize it's not about me trying to be my dad, though I still try to learn from him. I still work with him some and, and things like that. But I had to realize that I got to be willing to give God what he wants. I didn't become a Jewish missionary just because my dad was a Jewish missionary. That was the furthest thing on my list of doing. I became a missionary of the Jews because God wanted me to do that. And so God kind of gave me this message as a charge, and I just want to share it with you. I'm just going to read one verse, Romans chapter 11. We'll read verse 11. It says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for this time to stand and, and to, to worship you, Lord, and the freedom we had to do so today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you just give me the words to say, Lord, speak to our hearts through your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So here we find in Romans chapter 11, verse 11, it says, I say then, had they stumbled that they should fall. God forbid. We, we, we all look, you look in the Old Testament and see how, how you start in Genesis and look how God used the Jewish, the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. They were a light for him. Wherever they went, people saw God. I mean, you couldn't help it. The, even the enemy saw Israel coming sometimes and they were terrified because they knew they had a God that protected them and served them. Amen. But through their fall... Through their fall, when they turned as a nation against God, when they turned their backs on Him, God brought salvation to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Now that word provoke, it means to stimulate alongside, to make one excited about what you have, to make one, to, to make one want what you have. And, and so I started thinking about that. You know, in today's world, it's pretty easy to get provoked to want something. You know, I, I, kind of in the middle of nowhere, so I didn't see anything coming in. But, you know, I mean, it might be your job. It might be, it might be out here. I'm sure there's hunters out here. You know, hunting might be your thing. I love to hunt. I love to fish. I love to watch football. I love college football. I love watching those things. And, and those things are great. And we can enjoy those things on earth. But we can get around each other and we can provoke one another to want to do it. You know, you, you get me around, when I was there with Hunter, for instance, it did not take me and Hunter long to start talking about guns and, and hunting. I mean, it just didn't, we, we both had the same passion for it, we both like it, we both got excited about it, we both started talking about it. But you know something about all these things in this world that we can get so excited about and so worked up about, let us down so many times. I mean, you might be luckier than me, but sometimes when I go out hunting, I don't shoot nothing. I go out and I sit for hours in the cold and freeze to death and absolutely nothing. It's disappointing. I still love doing it, but it is disappointing. You go out fishing, you don't catch nothing. Or your favorite football team, you know. Oh, they, they do great all, all the whole year and then they blow it at the end. They let you down. Something you were so excited about, so happed up about, and then they let you down. You know, all, everything in this world can let us down. We get fired from our jobs. But... The Bible says that we are to provoke them to jealousy. And that thing, through, the fall, through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That word Gentiles in the concordance is, it's a, uh, means a tribe, specifically a foreign one, non-Jewish, usually by implication, a pagan or heathen nation. That's what ought to make us excited, is the fact that God brought salvation to us heathens, <laughs> to us pagans. That's what we are. That's what we, I got a four-year-old back there, okay? They're born with a sin nature. 
All right? I didn't realize. I thought I was a perfect kid growing up. No, I'm far from that. But when I had my own kid, it does not take them long to learn the word no. You know, or, or you know, when they turn and tell you no. Or they, they, they look and you tell them, don't do that. And, you know, they just keep going for it. They've got a sin nature because they're born heathens. <laughs> They're born with a sin nature. I love my kids. I'm trying to teach them. I wouldn't give anything for them, but they have a sin nature. Amen. And we have to realize that we have a sin nature. It doesn't matter who we are. We're pagans. We're heathens. But God brought salvation to us. And I had to think about that. It doesn't matter who I am. God wants me to provoke them. And if I'm to provoke them, I've got to be willing to go where he wants me to go. The first thing I see, though, in provoking, in provoking people to jealousy is there's got to be people we provoke. <laughs> we can't just provoke someone if we don't go to them. The first group of people I want to look at that, that, that we provoke, though, is one another. In, in Hebrews 10, verse 24, I'll just read it. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. The Bible wants us to provoke one another. You know why I travel around on deputation? It really isn't because it's fun. <laughs> it's, it's not because it's fun. We've, we've had a great time. I'm not complaining. I'm not going to complain. We have had a great time on deputation. But we do it because we have to get support from people. We have to have others help us. We have to, man, I want more than anything. I want prayer. I need help. I need people to pray for me. Amen. And you know what? I always tell churches, when we leave here, y'all are going to be on a list, my prayer list. I try to pray for churches. We need to pray for one another. We should get around and provoke one another. You know, I've been in churches, though, while we're on deputation and traveling and then growing up, too, you know, all the traveling I've done then. I've been in churches before where you get in, We've been driving all day long. I'm tired of being on the road. My road rage is about up to here, you know. I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm ready to get somewhere where I can just relax and hear some good news out of the Word of God. And then you get in the church and you're sitting there. And I've leaned over to my wife and been like, I'd rather be out on the road right now again. This church is so dead. There's nothing going. There's no happiness here. There's no encouragement here. That shouldn't be the way it is. When we come to church, we should provoke one another. Because you know what? We get out there and we get discouraged. We, we get road rage. We, we get mad at things. It's our human nature to do those things. But when it comes to church, it should be a place where everything that we've been worried about and, and things, we can come into church and just forget about it almost. Because someone doesn't come up and say, well, how bad was your week? And we start griping and complaining. No, we should be up and say, hey, how was your week? You know, God loves you. And just spread the love. Provoke one another to love. Provoke one another to jealousy. You ought to come to church and provoke your pastor. You can provoke your pastor. You can make him want to do more for you. Yeah. Just by saying, Pastor, anything you want me to do? Pastor, you want me to go out and help you? Hey, Pastor, I did this. You know what? It provokes him. You know what? If I, if I go to every church and they expect me to be the only missionary out there, I'm going to get a little discouraged because I'm going to be honest, <laughs> it feels like I'm just a little bitty dot out there, you know, and I am. I can't go out there and win all of Israel. I'm not going to go out there and, and reach every Jew. I mean, I'm only here today for, a few, you know, for the service, and then we're heading up to Edgewood. So there's people in this town that I'll never meet a day in my life probably. But you will. And you know what I like to know? Is that there's a church here doing God's work for them. It provokes me. 
It provokes me to want to do more. We should provoke one another. And then the next thing I see is, not only should we provoke one another, we've got to make sure we're provoking our children. You know, because it's easy as adults to get into church and talk about the Bible and everything, but then we go home and we just leave it. We leave it at church. We don't bring it home with us. And so our kids see us go home and live like the world all the other days and then go to church and, and you know, act all spiritual. And so they're watching us. My goodness, my four-year-old repeats everything he hears now. I mean, everything. It's scary. I don't like sitting in a Sunday school. I hope you didn't say nothing back there, will you? I'm telling you, you never know. I've, I've, I've heard a prayer request he's asked before, and I'm just like, what? where did you even get that, son? You know, and it, you know, he repeats everything he says. You know what? I love it, though, when he wants to be like Daddy. You know, I... I Went out, and I know I'm in Texas, so I, I went out and bought me a cowboy hat this time down here. You know, I, I'm not a big cowboy hat wearing person. I wear ball caps all the time, but I'm not big on the cowboy hat. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to go and get one and, and wear it. And I got one. Now, you know what, he wants one. He's got the boots, you know, like Daddy. He's got all, he wants a hat now. Amen. He wants to be like me. I took him out hunting last year. You know, he, he ate it up. We get out there and sit in the woods. Man, he sat so good. I was, I was shocked at how well he sat there. You know what? He was watching me the whole time. Watching me. Wanting to learn from me. You know what? Our kids want to learn. Our kids are going to learn stuff from us. We need to be provoking them to God. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We've got to provoke them, though. You know, I could, I could spend my whole time on deputation going around and complaining about everything that happens. If you've ever drove any type of vehicle, all right, I am no longer a Ford fan, a Chevy fan, or a Dodge fan. I hate them all. They're all just, ugh, they're junk. But, but the truth is, if you drive hundreds upon hundreds of miles every day, you'll find out all the issues with your vehicle. And, I mean, it's just one after another, it seems like, all the time. You know what, I could complain about that. We broke down before, and I could throw fits and all that stuff. But you know, every time we've ever broke down where it's left us stranded, God took care of it somehow. I still, to this day, some stories, I don't even know how God did it. He just did it. Like, it just, like, it's, I mean, you think in the Bible, and you read how, you know, the, 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 he fed the, the multitude of people with the, the five loaves and two fishes, you know, and you're like, how did that happen? I think that still happens today. It's just like things appear for you that God happens. You know what? That's what I want my kids to see. Yeah, there's hard things in life. Life hits hard sometimes, but I want them to see that how God gets the glory through it. We need to be provoking our children and say, hey, look how exciting it is to follow after God. Look at how God provides for us. They need to see that. I feel like once we provoke one another, we provoke our children, it'll help us be more effective in provoking the lost. Because if your family's happy, if you're happy with one another at church, you're going to have lost people come through that door, and they're going to look and be like, wow, people here, they're happy. They're excited. Amen. They don't want to trade their problems in the world for more problems in the church. That's right. They don't want to be like, you go, man, you won't believe, you go to work the next, you know, the day after Sunday, you won't believe what Pastor said. He said we're going to have a revival meeting this week, and we're going to have service Monday through Friday every night. He wants me to be at church every night. Can you believe that? I mean, I, I give him Sundays and Wednesdays, but my goodness, every other night, all the other nights too? Man, that's my free time. Nobody's going to want to go to church with you if you're complaining about going to church. Amen. That's boring to them. We should be like, you know what happened at church? You know what happened? I got blessed from the Word of God. 
That might be the only thing that happened. There might have been nothing super exciting that happened at church, but you should still be able to say, man, I was, I was provoked to want to serve him and get excited. I was working a job during the COVID when it hit. We had started deputation just before COVID hit. And, of course, as you can imagine, that COVID affected everyone. But when we had just started deputation, it was like a punch in the gut for me at first. But through it all, I, I ended up getting a job and working construction. I've always built houses and, and remodeled houses, so I got a job doing that. And you know what I've found when you're working around a bunch of guys who are just, you know, rougher guys and things like that? You know, you work around them and you see sometimes how miserable their life is. Yeah. I mean, all they talk about is... Man, my wife left for the night. This happened. This, you know, I, I don't even know what happened yesterday. I got so drunk. And, then, you know, I mean, they just, I'm in so much debt. And I'm like, you make three times the money I make. You know, you're the foreman in your life. And I, you, you don't understand. I, I don't get it sometimes. But then I realize they don't have Jesus in their life. Amen. You know what? They start looking at me and they're like, when I quit my job, man, I, I, was, I was making good money. I'm not going to lie. I was making pretty good. I was about to get my own company truck. I was about to become a foreman. Man, I was looking forward to it. Well, when I quit to, to go full-time deputation, I had people look at me, and they're like, you're out of your mind. But you know what? I didn't go, oh, I can't believe I'm giving all this up. I said, man, look what I'm getting, though. You just don't understand what I'm actually gaining here. Amen. I'm not losing nothing. You know what? They see that. They see those things. If I want to go out and reach Jews who will walk to the synagogues on, the sa on Saturday. Man, I've seen them on, on the Sabbath day walking to the synagogue in the pouring down rain. Snow up to your waist and they're walking. They're not allowed to open an umbrella. It's against their laws to open an umbrella. Because to them it's building a structure. I've seen them put Walmart bags over top of their head and run to the synagogues in the rain. In the snow. And, and get to the synagogues, they have all these laws that they will keep. They are dedicated. They'll spend hours upon hours a day studying in the synagogues their, their prayer books and the Tanakh and the Torah and all these things that the rabbis tell them to do. And they'll do all these things. They have a commitment. Man, I've seen them over there. A lot of Jews believe that, that some of the rabbis are the Messiah, are going to be the Messiah that returns one day. And they're buried in these tombs, and their bodies are still there. And these Jews will go into these tombs, and they're not like tombs we have here where, you know, it's a cemetery. I'm talking tombs with bats flying in them. I've been in them. It's nasty, it's, nasty, it's dirty, it's spooky. And uh, they'll go in there, and they'll sleep at night in these tombs, hoping they'll get the blessings from the rabbis upon them. They're dedicated to it. If I go to them and offer them something that I'm not even sure about, if I go to them and try to provoke them to something that to them they're already doing so much and I don't do nothing, they're not going to want what I have. That's true, brother. They're not, I, man, we, we've got Christians that if it's, if it's just a little flurry, you know, they're not going to church. If it rains a little bit, it might get their tires dirty and they don't want to go to church. I mean, we'll come up with all kinds of excuses to not go to church yeah. or to not read our Bibles. And yet, we're to be the ones provoking them? If we want to provoke the lost, we've got to have something to provoke them to. We've got to have something. And that leads me quickly to the person that we are to provoke them to. That's what it comes down to. Oh, we can get them excited about coming to church. We can get them excited about reading their Bibles. But if we don't point them to Jesus, then it's all for nothing. Amen. Church don't save you. The... the, the, the being a Baptist doesn't save you. 
Getting baptized doesn't save you. We've got to point them to Jesus who can save them. We've got to provoke them to want Jesus and, and show them. I've mentioned this to a few people, but one of, one of the verses that I use a lot when witnessing to a Jew is Isaiah 53, verse 5 through 6. It says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the Jesus I want to provoke them to. Someone who took the stripes for, for them. Someone who took upon himself all of our sin. All of our, all of our, our burdens, he takes it upon himself. My goodness, he did that for us. And sometimes we're too ashamed to stand up and claim that we even know him. We shouldn't be. Look at what he did for us. We should be able to walk out there and be like, hey, I want to show you and teach you about someone who has done so much for me. Not only did he die for me, but he takes care of me. He takes care of me through, the, through life. When hard times come, he's there to take care of me. Think about John 3.16, a verse that most everybody knows. You know, I mean, even lost people know this verse. It's just a popular, you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think sometimes we just quote it just to quote it and say it. But when we look at it, he loved the world, everybody in it. It's hard sometimes to sit back and watch people reject God and turn from him and, and curse him. And you look at the media, you look at our government sometimes, and it makes it, at least it makes me sick to my stomach sometimes looking at that. And I'm like, there's no hope for these people. But God loves them. That he gave his only begotten son for them. For you, for everyone. That ought to make us happy. That ought to get us excited. Like I told you, your football team could fail you. Your hunting trip could fail you. Your fishing trip could fail you. Your vehicles will fail you. Everything can fail you. People can fail you. And we'll get excited about them. Why not get excited about something that never fails us? That's always there, provoking them. The, the, we find that God doesn't just want us to provoke and then, you know, just serve him he blesses us for it we provoke him and there's a prize colossians 3 23 and it says and whatsoever ye do do it heartily as to the lord and not unto men knowing that the lord he shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the lord christ we get the reward when we serve god and not man when we serve for him we get a reward for that eternal life we get the man I'll share this, and then I'll close. My, I have an uncle in Georgia, and uh, y'all, y'all be in prayer for him. His name's Jim, Jim James, and uh, he, he's saved, but he, he's battling cancer, and uh, it, it's, it's really not looking good. And my other uncles aren't here, so I'll say it, he's my favorite uncle. <laughs> you know, he, I mean, but he, he was just close to our family. Used to be an atheist. Back when, when, when my family surrendered to be missionaries of Jews and we were traveling, he thought we were out of our minds. He didn't believe in God, but through the time he began to ask questions, then he got saved and started serving God. Next thing you know, he was working bus routes at his church, teaching in the Sunday school. He still teaches Sunday school. Even battling this cancer, he's still teaching Sunday school, serving God. But you know what? When I found out he had cancer, it's like somebody reached in my heart and just I mean, jabbed a knife in it. It's still hard for me to think about it. 
They said that he wasn't going to make it till this Christmas. Well, he made it to this Christmas. Now they're not even sure about next Christmas. It's just, it's hard to picture Christmas without him. And it's hard. You look at that and it's like, why, God? He gave his life to you. Why is this happening? But you know what? If it would have been back when he was an atheist, it would have been a whole lot scarier. Because, you know, the good thing is, the thing I can look at and the thing that he looks at, the thing that keeps him going still, you look at him and you wouldn't even know he had cancer unless he told you really, and, and unless you knew him very well and you saw the difference. But for the most part, he keeps a smile on his face. You know why? Because God changed his life. And now one day, if God decides to take him home tomorrow, I know he's going to be in heaven. That's something worth provoking other people to. That's something to get excited about. To know that even in hard times like that, that we don't understand, God is still in control and he's still there. Like I said, when COVID hit, we were on deputation. I stepped out by faith, you know, quit the job and everything. I thought, Lord, why is this happening? I went to Bible college. They didn't prepare us for stuff like this. Like, what, what, what do I do? But you know what? God was right there. Didn't take him by surprise at all. I have found, I have found following God you might as well just not have a plan other than a plan to follow God. <laughs> because God has a great plan. And we need to be excited about what he wants us to do. If we're excited about what we want to do, man, it doesn't get disappointing as you go. It just gets more exciting as you go. We need to be out provoking the lost, provoking people to jealousy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for just this opportunity to stand and preach your word. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. And, Lord, if there's one here today, Lord, that maybe they're not saved, maybe they don't know you as their Savior, Lord, don't let them leave here without knowing, Lord, that they can know you today and have you in their hearts and have you change their life, Lord. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just help the, the, uh, the rest of us who are saved, Lord, to just, just remember what you did for us, Lord, and what you are doing for us, and that we would go out and be willing to provoke other people to want to know you. And Lord, just help us to go out and provoke the loss to jealousy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. 
But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.